Edmund's sister Hannah asked me about Acts 7, 56. She said, you can always explain Acts 7, 56. Well, there's a background story to that. It's technically not my original question. Oh, okay. It's my mom's question. She went to Bible school to uh, ABI, and she was in class, and they taught on that, like, on that chapter, whatever. And she's like, how can he see God and Jesus? And um, the professor whatever said, oh, they didn't need to put that in the Bible. And she's like, so you mean to tell me that I have to go back to my uh, Methodist dad and I have to tell him that they didn't mean to put that in the Bible? And then she got sent to the principal's office for a chapter back and then nobody ever explained it to her. So it's really just a, a question from that. Well, all right. I am I am sorry that they did that. Kind of a, a complicated answer. And, and it's one of those verses that if you just take the one verse, it doesn't make as much sense. Well, let's let's say a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your many blessings. We pray that you will anoint your word to our hearts and minds. Bless us. Keep us in Jesus' name. Amen. I typed out Acts 7.56, where Stephen says, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And um, the important thing to consider when you read this verse, and if you just take that verse, and you, you your mother is right, sounds like there's two beings, and it's two separate beings. And yet, we know from studying the Word of God that Stephen believed in one God, and he was a devout Jew. He was not a dualist. He did not believe in two gods. He did not believe in three gods. He did not believe that he believed there was one God. <laughs> he used a phrase in that verse, and what is that phrase? Son of Man, there's actually no biblical reference to Son of Man being spoken by any other disciple or any other evangelist. No one ever refers to Jesus as the Son of Man, except Jesus, who refers to himself as the Son of Man, and scriptural verses that refer to him as the Son of Man. So forth, meaning in Revelation, where it says, I saw one likened to the Son of Man. So recognizing that that phrase has Old Testament implications is what this whole point is about. And then recognizing that when Stephen spoke this, the Gospels had not yet been written. They had happened, but they had not been written. There was no, at that point, written New Testament. It was about 60 years after the death of Jesus, 50 to 60 years, that writings, people started writing before they died. It's like, because I want to leave a written record. 
of what happened, a written record of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul had been writing. Actually, Paul's letters were earlier, were some of the earliest writings, and, and his were not, so they didn't have a New Testament to go to. So, so you understand what I'm saying? There was no, well, let's look that up. What did Matthew say about this? What did Mark say about this? What did Luke say about this? What happened with Stephen happened a relatively short time after the day of Pentecost. Okay? So Jesus died. 50 days later, he's resurrected. He's, he's ascended. The Holy Ghost is outpoured. I mean, 40 days later, he goes up. 50th day is Pentecost. They get the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4. Acts 3 and 4 is about Peter and John, about a week later, going to the temple. So this is a brand new group, if you will, a brand new phenomenon. And Stephen was one that was full of the Holy Ghost, was chosen to, in fact, wait tables, and to he was a minister. Now, I, we don't exactly know the timeline, but maybe within a few months of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is when this happens. Now, I, I had one time somebody say, well, it's because he got hit with it on his head with a rock. Well, it really wasn't that. But where is this confrontation taking place that Stephen preaches this sermon? They were putting him on trial. Who was putting him on trial specifically? The Jews, the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, the, the priests. Okay. Now, on your last of your paper, turn over to the back of your paper, the bottom of page two. And I'm going to answer this question, but I'm going to come back to this whole oneness issue because Stephen was Jewish. He, there was no thought in his mind that there were two gods or three gods. Again, remember, Jesus had referred to himself, and I put one of the verses, and there are several of them, but Matthew 8, 20, Jesus saith unto him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. That's very important. Son of God, Son of Man. They referred to him as the Son of God. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. Nobody ever referred to him as the Son of God. Jesus himself referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now, when they went to accuse Jesus to get him crucified, what did they, what was the big deal that said, Kill him, crucify him. What was that? He claimed to be God. He blasphemed according to their belief. Let's read that account in Matthew. Of course, now remember, Matthew wasn't written when Stephen had his vision. And we're going to read the entire vision. We're going to go back to the first page. But notice what... Matthew's account of the vision, Matthew 26, 59 through 66. It starts on the bottom of page two. 
in the King James Version, but you can read it in the Amplified or whatever version you want. Matthew 26, 59 through 66, 26th chapter. Now the chief priests, elders, and council, same people that are going to be fighting Stephen, all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, they found, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Now what was he referencing when he made those statements? His own body being crucified and resurrected. All right? And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? Jesus held his peace. Verse 63. But the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God, Christ, the Messiah. Messiah was a spiritual, they thought it was just a man. Correct, they thought it was just a man. Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. He tore his clothes. That was symbolic of, I cannot take any more. I have, now when the high priest did this, this was important. We've talked about this before. What immediately had he actually done? transferred his authority as the high priest. The high priest was, according to the law, was never supposed to tear his garment because he was able to go into the presence of God. So nothing should ever be so overwhelming. Remember when the prophet Ezekiel, the Lord said, your wife's going to die, don't tear your clothes. Why? Because yes, you're sad, that's somebody you love, but you, you know me. You serve me. You're not supposed to allow this to become that emotional. When you have, you have immediately transferred your authority. If you, you don't understand what I'm saying, just have a cop pull you over and let him start having a cussing fit. I had that happen to me. One time, many, many years ago, I was driving in southern Missouri. And a state policeman, we were driving on a two-lane road, and I passed a car, and I didn't see the cop. And I passed another car, and he passed, and I, he had turned, seen me passing, and he followed me for five or six miles and finally got in behind me. I didn't know he was there as soon as he turned his lights on, and he came up to the car livid, cursing, blankety blank. You, I don't have time to chase you. You, you saw me. I went through the whole thing. You were driving. 15 miles over the speed limit. And I probably was when I was passing the vehicles because I would put it down and get around them. It was a two-lane road. It wasn't, you know, where I had a stretch from here to Columbus to pass. And I've seen people do that, you know. <clears throat> Don't ask me how I feel about it. 
as I'd have to confess, I don't feel we're wonderful about it when they take that long to pass. I think either pass or be the big dog or get off the porch, whatever it is. <laughs> anyway, and he was cussing. And I don't know. True story. I wish it weren't true. I, I, I've never been able to use this again. It's never happened to me again. But true story. I said to the officer, I said, officer, the Bible says that you're a minister unto me for good. And I respect your authority. And I deserve a ticket. I have been speeding. But, sir, I did not. I only sped to try to get around. I haven't been driving reckless. and you are welcome to give me a ticket, but I'm going to ask you to write your name and badge number on it because I'm going to report you for the cursing that I received. I feel unjustified. And he was writing the ticket the whole time. And he said, what? And I kind of repeated it a little bit. And, and he said, okay, look, I tear this up. You, we've just both had a bad day. Okay. I said, yes, sir. He transferred authority when he broke his own etiquette. He knew he was not allowed to give me a cussing. You see it all the time, but I'm just telling you that authority then is transferred. And so that high priest, when he read his clothes, so let, let's read on here. He said, nevertheless, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power. The high priest read his clothes and said, you have spoken blasphemy. We don't need any other words. You are guilty of death. Now, go back to Stephen's sermon on the first page, because Paul, and I'll read some of those others when we get to them, but, but Stephen actually started this sermon, uh, well, the whole chapter is a sermon. But uh, jump down to the 39th verse, read through the 43rd verse, because read what he is saying to this council. To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him, the seven Acts seven thirty nine, but thrust him from them in their hearts, turned back against into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Acts seven chapter. What did, what did he say? They said gods plural. For as for this Moses which brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. And they made a golden calf. Stephen is preaching against serving other gods. He's preaching one God. See this, verse forty two. God turned, gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of prophets, O ye house of Israel, you've offered unto me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God, Remphim, figures which you made to worship them. I'm going to punish you by carrying you away into battle. So Stephen was not believing in more than one God. He was preaching, in fact, about how Israel had sinned by worshiping gods. Then go up now to the very first paragraph, the first verse 54. When Stephen got through, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they literally started chewing on him. I don't know if you've ever made somebody spitting mad, or have you ever made them gnashing teeth mad? I guess that would be even more emotional than ripping your clothes. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and refers to him as the Son of Man. 
60 days before, 70 days before, you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. Stephen, who was not in the courtroom, was not in the trial, repeats the verbatim, the words almost, and they couldn't see it. Or if they did see it, it was a testimony to you heard Jesus say, you're going to see the Son of Man. Now, my guess is they all of a sudden knew Stephen should not have known that he used that phrase. No one ever had called him that before. And yet Jesus had referred to himself as that in their presence before he was crucified. And now Stephen says, I saw Jesus standing at the right hand and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. And so what did they do when they heard it? Very childlike. Not listening. I'm not listening. So the use of that phrase and the use of that analogy was to show them what Jesus had stood in the trial in their court presence and prophesied. And now Stephen is getting a vision of the heavens open. This is the same thing that happened when Jesus was baptized. The heavens roll back. Okay? Now, I don't know if they saw it. So when Stephen is using the phrase, I see Jesus sitting or standing on the right hand of John, that was, was that like poetic to say, I see him with the power and authority in heaven? I mean, because wouldn't a Trinitarian turn around and say, we'll see there are two separate things. Correct. They would say there's two separate things, but that's exactly right. It is like saying, I, he told you he was going to do this. The Son of Man was going to be there, and now I see Jesus there. The Son of Man is there, and he's the one that you crucified. So it was another witness. But now it is power and authority. Now let's go back to the third page again. Ephesians, the first chapter. Paul writes about this. Another one God believer, and I'm going to show you not even all of the places. I, 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 I didn't go through all of them. Where oneness was preached and taught and believed. But Paul wrote in Ephesians, that the eyes of your understanding, first chapter, 18th verse, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named on this world. And he goes through. And the... 23rd verse, put all things under his feet, gave him the head to be over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So when you read this, that vision 
while it appears that there are two, it was very symbolic. It was symbolic of that guy you crucified now has power and authority. Okay? He is now at the right hand of God. They knew what that meant. They had heard it said. They knew that authority. And it all of a sudden was more than just saying he's the Christ. He is, was the Messiah. All right? The Messiah wasn't just a man. And the Messiah was correct. Now, was a high priest, if you will. That's why Paul, when he wrote in to the Hebrews, now Hebrews the eighth chapter, now these things which we have spoken, this is the sum, this is the total, eighth chapter, first and second verses. We have such a high priest. Where is that high priest supposed to be? At the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. Amen minister of the sanctuary and a, of the true tabernacle which the lord pitched and not man so what he was what stephen was basically saying is i saw jesus in where you were supposed to be the high priest was supposed to be that mediator it was the high priest that went into the presence of god once a year on the day of atonement it was the high priest who had access not everybody else not you not me and so when when that when he said, I saw the Son of Man, I saw the man Christ Jesus at the right hand of the God, he basically was saying, I saw Jesus where you're supposed to be. Okay? Now, that's I, not ironic, but Jesus, when he was preaching in Luke, the sixth chapter, says, Blessed are you when men shall hate you, shall separate you from their company and reproach you, cast you out your name as evil. Why? For the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. And behold, great is your, your reward is great in heaven, for in that manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So the real mystery of the gospel is God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That's what 1 Timothy 3.16 says. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. <laughs> the controversy of one God, though, goes back to how should we baptize? If you take this one verse, as I said, it appears to be two. And I, I hate to not <clears throat> to do all of this Bible study on this, but it, it does deserve understanding that Stephen did believe in one God. And, I, and so you go back to page one, and I put line after line of the verses in which uh, the Old Testament teaches that there is one God, starting from Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter and the fourth verse. And, of course, Jesus identified that as being the most important commandment. Uh, Paul, repeatedly, Romans 3, 1 Corinthians 8, Galatians 3, Ephesians 4, 1 Timothy 2, James 2, 1 John 2, Revelation 4, all talk about one God, one, one Lord, one God. And yet, when you, you hear the phrase, Son of Man, it becomes, was Jesus God or was he man? 
and and this is where people have repeatedly what I think, and, and I understand, and I'm not being critical, but they have allowed themselves to get caught up in the controversy and miss the overlying effect of how should I be baptized? What name do I have to have access into the to the presence of God? By whom do I have that access? It's by Jesus. And and so the reason I say they get into vain thinking is because I, I call it vain, meaning useless. Because only reason I'm calling it useless, it's not because it's not an interesting topic, but it is because we don't have evidence of, of whatever. It's like, okay, um, does um, did Jesus become God? When he was baptized, did he know when he was 12 or 14 and he went to the temple, he was manifest in the flesh? Did he decide? And, and I've talked to Brother Todd about some of these things, and people will, will spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours trying to study it out and minutia and the minutia and all this, trying to figure it all out. And yet, and, and I'm okay, you, you can do that. But the key is, how are you being baptized? And do you believe, obviously, in that Jesus is the only access by which we have access into the presence of God? That there is a name given among heaven that's greater. There's no other name give that's greater than this name. That that's our access. He is the head of the body, the church. And so, you know, even the Old Testament prophets, and I, I read, I, I put in your that first paragraph on page one. Isaiah 1 and 4, Isaiah 5 and 19, verse 24, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 48. And I hope you will sometime go through and read these. That's your homework assignment this summer. I gave you enough verses to read all summer. And yet, these prophets who believed in one God prophesied about something coming. Remember Isaiah 9 and 6? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and upon His shoulders. Okay, that's coming. What do you mean, Isaiah? Are you talking about the Mighty God? You just said there's one God. So sometimes these prophets, and you remember I've told you before that sometimes the prophets didn't even know. Look at Isaiah seven fourteen. Because it's well, you don't have to look there. That's all right. We go to Isaiah eleven and one, Isaiah seven fourteen. There's something coming, and we're going to call his name what Emmanuel, which means what? Well, now why would Isaiah say there's going to come a time when God's going to be with us? And was that quoted in Matthew? The Holy Ghost shall overshadow you, and what are you going to call his name? Emmanuel. You're going to give birth. And so here's the problem, and, and why sometimes we get flack as being oneness. And, and I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to walk softly here only to try to explain to you that there are individuals that baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and they say they're Trinitarian, but they really don't believe in the Trinity. They believe in one God. They call them three manifestations or whatever. 
But when you when you jump, when you put your toe over the edge and say co-equal, co-eternal, co-powerful, that's when you've crossed the line because they're not co-equal, they're all one. Because they're not, the sun did not exist from Genesis, the first chapter. The sun was born, the sonship day. And you say, well, how did God become, well, and I understand there's a lot of analogies and egg and you can ice, you know, and steam and water and all that. You can also say your foot is, are, are you in your shoes right now? Is all of you in your shoes or your hands in your shoes? You know, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You know, when you stop and look, but Isaiah 11, 1, what does that say? And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse. Read it slowly. There shall come forth a what? A shoot. A shoot or a branch. Out of the stock of Jesse, David's father. And a branch out of his roots shall grow and bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the revelation and obedient fear of the Lord. Okay. What does the tenth verse say? Same chapter. And it shall be in that day that the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the people. Whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. The branch shall, the stem shall, the stalk shall, or what shall? The root shall. Okay, now Isaiah, which is it? If there's a branch coming out of a plant, 11.1, 1, and then compare it to 11.10. The root and the offspring of David. Oh, the root and the offspring of David. So the root of David... Didn't Paul address that when he said, "How could he say?" Um, David say in Psalms, "The Lord said to my Lord." Yes. His father, how would, why would Let's keep him? going. That's that's right. Read Rhoda's Revelation twenty two sixteen. Say, I, I Jesus have sent my messenger angel to you to witness and to give assurance of these things for the churches assemblies. I am the root, the source, and the offspring of David. Uh, which well, wait, wait, is it? Are you the root or are you the offspring? It's it's hard for me to wrap my head around why it's so difficult for people to get that. Well, it, it takes revelation. Now, David said in Psalms 110, verse 1. The Lord God says to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your adversaries your footstool. What was it? Say it again. The Lord God says to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your adversaries your footstool. Now read what, what Jesus said about this in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, starting at verse 41. So you, you see... Isaiah wrote this about the root and the branch and the offspring. The offspring of David was going to be the root of David. Now, while the Pharisees were still assembled there, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord, saying... 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. At my right hand. Notice this analogy. So this, with Stephen, this whole thing about the right hand went back to that ultimate trial of Jesus. What Stephen saw was another one of the nails in the coffin for the Jewish leaders. What that because the question that shut their mouths entirely because then we'll keep reading through the form. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. If then David thus calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone venture to or dare to ask him a question. You see, he has been saying this to these scribes and Pharisees repeatedly the son and the root. Are the same. Matthew 22, 41 through 46. It ties right in with John where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, there wasn't like a, a floaty, clear Jesus. It was it was God. It was the Word. It was Correct. the same. Floaty, so this analogy of, are, are you all understanding this? The analogy of the root, there's going to come a branch, and it's going to, on him is going to rest the spirit of understanding, and the spirit it's going to be the branch out of David, but he's going to also be the the root of David, the root of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. You, you see what I'm saying? All right, <clears throat> let's. Isaiah, the 35th chapter. This is Isaiah now, this prophet that wrote about the Messiah. Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. Say to those who are of a fearful and hasty heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. He will come. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Then your God will come. Then the eyes of the blind will be open. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing for joy. For water, water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The servants of John the Baptist came to Jesus and said, Art thou the Christ? What did Jesus quote? Isaiah 35, go tell them, the eyes of the blind have been healed. The lame are walking. Why all the miracles? Was to prove, what I because Isaiah said, your God shall come. So Jesus was saying, I'm the guy. And, and you can read that account, and I put it on your paper. There, it's uh, in uh, Luke 7th chapter, 19th through the 23rd verse. What about Isaiah 40, verse 3? A voice of one who cries, Prepare in the wilderness the way of the Lord, clear away the obstacles, make straight and smooth in the desert a highway for our God. A highway for our God. What did John the Baptist say? He said, I'm making a highway. There's one coming after me. Shoes I'm not. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. So repeatedly they believed that in fact they were seeing God manifest in the flesh. Now, a lot more scriptures there that, you know, the church was purchased with his own blood. But uh, turn to the second page. A lot of 
verses. John, and I put here above where it says the dual nature of Christ, that one little paragraph. John saw one throne in heaven. You can read, and we have studied Revelation, the first chapter. The one that sat on it was Jesus. That one was the creator who's worthy to receive glory and power and honor and all of that. And he is, in fact, the judge. And, and that's why did God come? Why did the Lord have to take on flesh? Several reasons. Why did the Lord have to take on flesh? Had to have a body. Why did he have to have a body? Die for our sins, but to reconcile mankind. Man had broken the relationship with God. And so this is where I say, I say, vain. you know, you can say, well, was Jesus God? He never sinned. Yes. So if he sinned, would he have no longer been God? Well, it's moot as far as I'm concerned because he didn't sin. He was all man and he was all God. He had a dual nature. Could he have sinned? Absolutely. He was tempted like we are. And people will say, well, Jesus could have never sinned. Not and been God manifest in the flesh. If you want to play hypothetical, if he would have sinned, he would not have been God. He could not have reconciled us to God. You see what I'm saying? It, it, in one sense, moot, could he have sinned? Yes. People say, well, you know, if he couldn't have sinned, well, he couldn't have, been, have sinned and been God. You're right. You're right. He could not have sinned and been God. And yet, as man, he could have. And he would have forfeited being God at that moment. Does that make sense? So, and I put here in that paragraph, I, I mean, under the dual nature of man, you know, he was born as a baby, yet he existed from eternity. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And so in that regard, he existed from eternity, but yet there was a start date for Jesus, the man, Christ Jesus. You follow me? No start date for the branch, I mean the root, but a start date for the branch. Got it? Okay. And so when you look at, um, he grew mentally, physically, etc., but yet he never changes. He was tempted by the devil, yet he cast out devils. Why would they? Why would he allow himself to be tempted by the devil? So that he would understand temptation. That when we're going through it, he is a high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities, as he was tempted in all points like we are. So no matter what temptation you have, Jesus has already defeated it. He hungered, yet he was the bread of life. And yet he could make bread appear when you break a loaf. And yet he would hunger, thirst, grew weary, all these things. Had no power, yet he had all power. Inferior to God, yet equal with God. Was a servant. Yet he was the king of kings. So you look at the dual nature of man. This next paragraph, why was the sonship role necessary? To be a sacrifice, to be a substitute, to take our place, to be the kinsman redeemer. The whole book of Ruth is written about that. Okay? And to be the kinsman redeemer, what does Romans 3.24 say? Just to give you a... 
kind of a thing to think about. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? So when you recognize that in fact, um, Hebrews 2, uh, 11 and 12, what does that say? For both he who sanctifies making men holy and those who are sanctified all have one father. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's an important, that's an important verse. Because remember what did Jesus say to Mary when he came out of the tomb? I go to my father and to your father. Why is that so vital that the man Jesus would be able to say that? Not just reconciling the relationship, but as the kinsman redeemer, the nearest relative is the one that can redeem you. That's why, remember, when Boaz went to the other gentleman and said, do you want a buyer? And the other guy goes, sorry, I can't afford it. So he said, I'm the next relative. So the fact that we have one father puts us on that equal level. There was no way he could be the kinsman redeemer with us without being a man. Does that make sense? So when you look through, <clears throat> go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. Hebrews 2, 11, 12. For this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren, for he says, I will declare your father, you're the father's name to my brethren in the midst of the worshiping congregation. I will sing hymns of praise to you. So to be a reconciler, to be a mediator, to be a high priest, to be an advocate, to be an example of righteousness. He's the our best on the second Adam. And by taking on flesh, he could be the judge. What does Romans 2.16 say? On that day when, as my gospel proclaims, God by Jesus Christ. God by Jesus Christ. That's two gods. No. It's one God. But the fact that he was a man gives him the authority to say, what? You couldn't fight that? What, what was it that was so, you, you could, what? I was tempted. I didn't, you don't think I had to deal with that? You don't think I had to deal with those emotions? You don't think I had to? Okay. Now, one, one verse, uh, one more series of verses, and we'll stop for the evening. There's a lot of verses on here that I, I didn't read. The sonship role will, in fact, end. When does it end? When... After the thousand when the enemies have all been put under his feet. Who will still be on the throne? Jesus, I believe that. But yet at the same time, that role of Savior is over. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, starting at about verse 23? But each in his own rank and turn, Christ the Messiah is the first fruits then those who are Christ's own will be resurrected at his coming. After that comes the end, the completion, when he delivers over the kingdom to God the Father, after rendering inoperative and abolishing every other rule and every authority and power. What is he ultimately saying? At some point, this role stops. That's why co-eternal, whatever you want to call it, it's all God. 
but it's like he's going to be absorbed back into the fact. You follow what I'm saying? Well, it moves from a savior, as you said, a kinsman redeemer, because I'm coming back for a bride. It's coming back for a bride. That we become one with him when we finally are married. The synergy, the oneness, whatever you want to call the oneness, the union with God. We've been changed to be like him. All of a sudden, it's all one. For we shall see him, what? As he is. He is, in fact. So, great, great question. And I'm, and I'm sorry, you know, I, I could give you the short answer was that Stephen, Stephen's words were to drive a dagger into the heart of those men because it was the very same words he was almost quoting verbatim as to what Jesus had told them at his trial. And when he sees that vision, and it looks like two, and I get that, but that's almost the exact same words. It was so angered them. But these were the very same words that Jesus had repeatedly said to them over and over and over again. I am the root and the offspring. So question but the Pope said, 300 years later, the Pope said, and if the Pope said it, then God said it because he is the word of God. Unfortunately, hard for me to place that much confidence because as Paul said, follow me, what? And so if you're not going to preach what Christ said, I am the root and offspring. When you've seen the thought, what, and I didn't put on their sheet, I'm sorry, I should have, where Jesus would say, he that has seen me, I and my, Jesus was in the position that the high priest, the priests were supposed to be in. The priests were supposed to be in this position of authority to minister to the people. And that when that when the high priest had ripped his clothes, when he had forfeited that, and he said, the son of man is going there. You see, the Jews, depending on what, that's a great question, and depending on which branch of the tree you believe. Some, like Sadducees, don't even, didn't even believe in the resurrection. And they ask questions about it all the time. And they didn't even believe it. But depending on which some, some believe that this Messiah was going to set up an earthly kingdom would be a man, but he would not be God. Some believe that there would be a godlike somebody that was going to be prophetic, and that's why they're going to fall for the Antichrist. Because they're going to believe that, wow, he has power. has power to do miracles, power to do all these things. Okay, and so consequently, you have several different schools of thought about the Messiah. Some believe he's all man, that he just does good things. Some believe that he's more of a prophet. Some believe that he's more of like a, not, not a God, not, he's, but a mouthpiece of God. But all of that, the Jews still say he's just a man. But all of that, they say he's still just a man. 
He is always just a man. And when when Jesus looked at them and said, you're going to see this son of man at the right hand of God. Which is also why Paul said he is after the order of Melchizedek. After the order he of Melchizedek. No beginning, beginning and no, no ending. ending. He does, but he doesn't. He does, but he doesn't. And so when Jesus is standing on trial and he says, you're going to see the son of man, that's blasphemy. Because the Son of Man is not going to go and be at the right hand of God, the power to judge, the power to... Isn't it true, too, that the Jews, or like scholars or um, prophets or people like John the Baptist, for example, who were, you know, doing what they did, it was not uncommon to call somebody, oh, like, he's like the Son of God over there. He is like the Son. It was yeah. not that uncommon to say he's like but the Son of God. Totally unusual. To say, to say it, the son of man. nobody ever said that Jesus was that. So a son of God just means, and now are we all the sons of God? He's a good guy. But when he calls himself the son of man to the Jews, he's gonna, he is the Messiah. They knew what the Old Testament prophets had said about that. The only problem with the, as I said, the one God in three persons sounds like it's. Coexistent, co-eternal. That's where it begins to get. You're sticking your toes over the line into there are now three. Most Trinitarians will go. There's only one. It's all in him. It's all in him. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in him. I don't did that help understand questions about that? Any other question about John 7? I mean Acts 7? Kind of to a point. Um, the, so Stephen, I know you kind of mentioned, we don't know if he necessarily followed Jesus while he was alive. It's right. Like, if there's there's no documentation of him being part of his disciples or anything. None. We just know that. So either he was and he came or he came and he was Right. And, and we, we don't have any record in the Gospels that he was there at the trial. He was... The only person we have is a record is Peter, and he wasn't even in the main area. He was in the Correct. I mean, uh, the only one that possibly could have been in there was John, who was allowed to go in, but I don't know that he was allowed to go into the trial itself, where the council went. And he was allowed to go inside. And so it's kind of like, wow, how could he? And this was before these books were written, and that's what I wanted you to, to understand, that that Acts 7 happened before Matthew was written. It's not before Matthew happened, but it was before Matthew was written. And we find out when Matthew gives his account that Jesus used that phrase to the high priest and the council. And so this is why they first chewed at him and then they couldn't take it.